Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Red Zone Restrictor podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss Liverpool's 3-0 defeat at Brighton. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, another low, low point in Liverpool season, unfortunately, on the South Coast on Saturday. Bob called it the worst performance of his tenure. He couldn't remember any any worse housing for his side. It was actually nil-nil at half-time. He thought Liverpool might be able to get something out of the game if they improved, but it was more of the same in the second half. A dreadful performance throughout. Solly March got two in six minutes. And then Welbeck made it 3-0 at the end. So, Chris, um, we'll we'll start with those comments from Klopp as we do our three-head match reviews. Um, do you think that, that was the the worst performance of the Klopp era? I mean, there's the, there are a few contenders, but um, that's certainly got to be up there. And yeah, your, your three-head review as well, please. Yeah, first of all, on the, on the worst performance, um, I've been trying to think really in terms of ones that Compared to it, you could look at the 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 four one at Wembley against Tottenham. Obviously, um, stands out, but that was maybe more individual errors. Um, you could look back maybe to the five nil against Manchester City, but there were extenuating circumstances there. Mane got sent off, um, and Liverpool had very presentable opportunities just before uh, that red card as well. Um, Napoli earlier this season. I mean, that was just Liverpool got blown away um, in, in, in that uh, that scenario. But and Napoli are an excellent team we've seen in Serie A this season. But I do think that was right up there uh, because my my three word match my three word match review is that wasn't Liverpool because that was just so far away from everything that we've become accustomed to in the Jurgen Klopp era. It was just no pressing, no intensity, no ideas, no creativity, no defensive solidarity. And the, the pictures of Klopp at the end as well, like with his hands together, almost begging for forgiveness. And it, it's just it's just so far away from what we've seen under Jurgen Klopp. And look, this is a team that I think it has to be accepted now, certainly in terms of the midfield. And I know we've discussed that, but it is a team that could be seen as kind of moving towards the end of its cycle, which is tough to take because you want to, you don't want these things to, to end. Do you? you want good things to go on forever? But yeah, I think even in his heart of hearts, Klopp knows thing is certainly required, and it absolutely was up there with one of the worst overall. His tenure, absolutely. Well, the thing that that struck me, and this is what I've gone for with my review, is that there were, and the three rides would be absolutely no positives in that game. If you look at a lot of the defeats that we suffered this season, there has at least been one thing you can look at, one or two things, and you think there's a source of optimism there. But yesterday, I don't think there's any glimmer of light in that whatsoever. Um, Liverpool weren't able to string an attack together. They weren't able to pass the ball from their defence into midfield and and to their attackers. They just couldn't do it. A lot of the time, they were losing the ball, trying to play out from the back. And then if they did actually get it into their midfield, they just didn't have the, the outlet up front. It was sort of this really weird situation where we couldn't get a foothold on the ball 
But you know, you look at the possession stats, and I think Liverpool had something like um, it was either 30, 31... 38, 38% possession, I think. Yeah, I had 31 oh, or 37 in mind. It was 39. 39, it was actually. I had that in a Premier League game. Yeah, it was. Has um... it ever happened under Klopp apart from the red card against City? I think that, yeah, I remember sort of only one or two occasions where it's been around that. It's certainly lower than than anything we had last season. The 45% was the lowest last season. But when you look at that possession total, you're like, the only circumstance in which that should be acceptable for Liverpool is if Liverpool have changed their game plan and they're sitting off the opposition and they're in kind of a disciplined shape and trying to counter-attack them. Yesterday, it was like trying to do the normal thing, trying to, to dominate, trying to compete, but just ill-equipped to do it, basically. And it was shocking to watch that really unfold. It was neither here nor there, really, in terms of the game plan. It was it was just nothing, um, to be honest. And and that's the thing, you know, you had you have midfield issues, and we'll talk about those a little bit in a second. But on top of that, yesterday, you know, you've got the actual, you know, within the back four, um, sort of Joel Matip. That's two performances in a row now from him, which have been really poor. And Virgil Van Dijk injured. You need him to actually step up. And I, I was confident that he would. You know, I think he's a, an exceptional defender, but his source of worst performances have come in, in Van Dijk's absence and then the attack as well. You know, that's the thing that this season, you know, you look at it in terms of the actual volume of chances Liverpool create. I think it's only, you know, Arsenal and City who were doing better than them in that side of the game. But it wasn't as if, you know, it was just wasting chances and being punished for defensive openness at the other end. We weren't creating anything. We had sort of six shots in the game. Yeah. And we had a couple of um, sort of nominal big chances, but I think that's that's just when you know we're basically maybe that Gakpo one where he's you know right on the goalkeeper and it's a bit it's, it's a bit scrappy and things like that. So yeah, there was just absolutely nothing um, I could I could see within that, and certainly one of the worst performances. And you looked at it, and, and that Brighton goal was just basically coming from the outset. And yeah, yeah, from, from the very first whistle. Bearing in mind the amount of danger signs in that first half, you get to half time. Recovering, recoup, work out a game plan for the second half, and within two minutes, all goes, all goes up in smoke because yeah. Brighton deservedly. We, let's not take anything away from Brighton here. That entire starting eleven cost thirty-one million pounds. I love the way Brighton have become what they've become in terms of the way that they've scouted, the way that the infrastructure. It's absolutely incredible. I really admire the way they've gone about it. Because I thought I saw a tweet saying, "No disrespect to Brian, but Matoma isn't going to be there much longer." He's he's yeah, he's just a, a, one example, isn't he, of, of just the scouting that they're able to do, which is absolutely fantastic. But yeah, it it, it really was just so poor all over and so easy as well. I, yeah. I think I I, I yeah, can't yeah. remember. We talked about Liverpool being easy to play against that time. So in terms of an all round ninety minutes, I can't remember the last time a team had it that easy against Liverpool. And that that's the thing, is like if you're Brighton, you're playing Liverpool and it's it's a big win in terms of the stature of the opposition generally, but you don't have to work hard for it at all. You know, there'll be sort of lower mid-table teams that could do a better game than that. And we talk about the result was coming from the first whistle. I think it was maybe even coming before that as well, you know, coming into this game. It was similar to Brentford in a way, and you just like the only thing that's telling you Liverpool might win is just like the intangible stuff. Like everything sort of logical in your brain is saying we probably are going to lose this based on how we've been playing and how the opposition have been. And 
Brighton at everything Liverpool aren't right now in terms of being well well organised on and off the pitch. Um, Liverpool are like, I've, I've for, for so long been a model in terms of what they've done behind the scenes. This season looks chaotic, whereas Brighton um, have just kind of quietly gone, out their business, gone about their business in the way that Liverpool did. And yeah, they've got, um, they're incredibly well coached and it doesn't even take a, a well coached team to, to beat Liverpool right now, which takes any sort of decently well drilled side. And we look like sort of second favourites in the game. And you've got to say, you know, Brighton above Liverpool in the table. Um, Liverpool down to ninth now in the league. Um, they just look like a better team. It, it doesn't look like yeah. a, it, Liverpool don't look like out, out of place in that part of the table right now. It looks like about where they should be. But um, let, let's shift on a little bit. A lot of talk about the need for a midfield signing or midfield signings, maybe more to the point. But at what point do we say, yes, this, this team is suffering from underinvestments, but also that squad should be doing a lot better than this, surely? I mean, it's not FSG's negligence is enough to take you out of the title race, but it shouldn't be enough to have you down in ninth in the league, surely? I'll fire a question straight back at you. In terms of the top half of the Premier League, especially, mm. is there a midfield on current form that you wouldn't have over Liverpool's? Well, for, for, I was, forget, forget about yeah. the forget about the ability of the individuals on current form. Is there a, is there a midfield in the top half that you wouldn't have over Liverpool's? Well, it's funny you should say that, Chris, because that that was kind of on my mind a little bit earlier today when I was watching Newcastle v Fulham. Not actually looking at the Newcastle midfield. Obviously, they're third in the league now, but looking at Fulham's, you know. With, Pol- Pol- Polina would walk in. Polina been brilliant this season. Harrison Reed, he's got the legs that that we're missing as well. And then Pereira, who's obviously the kind of the creative force within there. And you look at it and you go, what? Why is the balance of that midfield so much better than than that of Liverpool? But yeah, a sort of apart from that, you know, and and granted, it is a major issue. We can't just say we can't just put everything down to that. Surely, I mean, no, th- th- this this team needs to be doing a lot better because it. If there isn't to be a signing, and we'll talk about what the consequences of that might be in a second, but if there isn't to be a signing, they're going to have to get better at their own accord and their ceiling should still be much higher than this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, does it require a reshuffle, for example? I mean, of course, it's been talked about for longer than I can remember about Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield, but Matoma enjoyed his time against Alexander-Arnold yesterday. He really did. Um, Is it time to focus on Joe Gomez at right back and finally shift Alexander-Arnold into midfield? Is that too straightforward? I, I, I do think that's an option sh- that should be explored. I really do. Because I think Joe Gomez is a very capable right back. I think he's arguably better at right back at times than at centre-back. Um, and if that means Alexander-Arnold then gets to showcase his talents in midfield because his stats are incredible for right side and central midfield. And if now is the time to do it, then Klopp's hand might be forced in that regard. Um, it's funny because, I mean, you know, I know, I know we might look ahead to Wolves in a sec, but I was just thinking ahead to Wolves and those kind of examples. And all of a sudden now, we're thinking, obviously, quote-unquote, reward is another trip to the Amex. Mm. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's interesting in itself. But the, the squad as a whole, yes, there are injuries. Of course, there are. And... They are kind of all focused maybe more towards um, the forward line, but there was seeing news today or reports rather that Liverpool seem to have pulled the plug on on Navigator's negotiations. 
Um, so how much more game time do we expect to see from him before the end of the season? Does it defeat the point in terms of giving him game time? Maybe he's not going to sign a new contract. Um, and I, again, I saw one feel as well saying Liverpool's big problem, apart from maybe Thiago Alcantara, is that do they have a central midfielder that you would want to be first choice next season? Which, which is actually quite a thought, to be honest, when you consider about the targets being talked about and, and things like that. And yes, I know I've just kind of gone back and circled onto the midfield. And yes, it is not just about the midfield because the defence should be doing better. The forwards should be doing better in terms of the intensity, in terms of the press. But I just feel the, the central area, teams know that is Liverpool's weak point at the moment because they just know it's so easy to bypass that. And next thing you know, you've got three or four men heading towards Liverpool's defence. So I do think that is the that is the root of the problem. But nevertheless, others around the squad should be making up for that because just one little area does not affect Liverpool's entire game plan. I think I, I was I was saying this one as well. I was watching the game yesterday, you know. Liverpool now, when you're an attacker, I'm not sure there's a game you'd look forward to more, just in the sense that there are obviously weaker teams still, but is there a team that are going to give you that much kind of space and be that vulnerable in that way? And that's really kind of, you know, it's really unsettling to think about how much teams are probably looking forward to, to going up against Liverpool right now when obviously the, the whole identity has been to try and make us the most sort of uh, feared team um, in a way. But you, you, you kind of touched on it there. Sorry, do you, do you want to just say something uh, else no, on that no, first? I was just saying, because I mean, the, the, the first half of the North London derby this afternoon, Xhaka is not the most mobile man in the world. And he was pulling strings up there in that first half. And that's just, you know, because watching the Arsenal team in the first half, passing the movement, it was just, it was a joy to watch. And we're wondering, where has that gone now? Of course, personnel got older, of course, it, you know, various, various parts of the squad have got older. But that's where Liverpool were. And it's about how on, how do you get back to that? Yeah, you, you look at those teams and, and, um, it, it that performance, you know, in the North on the derby was what you kind of expect from that sort of a vintage Liverpool or, or a vintage uh, Man City, I suppose. But you, um, you touched on it there, Chris. We've got to talk about Klopp's role in all this. If we're saying, you know, he's got to do better with what he has, um, he's probably. I mean, I don't think we've talked about him too much on this podcast, and I think there's some only a small group of fans who've been critical of him. You know, he he's having a bad season too, in addition to his players. Um, what do you see his main failings being this season? And also, what would you change if you were him? Because is is it time for a kind of a, a radical setup change? Do Liverpool need to? try a totally different uh, system? Do Liverpool need to be a sort of sit-deep counter-attack kind of side? Is he just persisting with something that isn't working? And does he need to kind of stop being so stubborn in that sense? I think I prefer the word loyalty over stubborn. And I think that's something where a lot of people maybe highlighted it as well to his Borussia Dortmund days, in terms of how loyal he was to certain players over there. Of course, the whole final season of Dortmund is going to get brought up at times like this, isn't it? Uh, which is only natural. But I think, I mentioned Naby Keita there. <laughs> I, I think his time at Liverpool probably could have ended maybe last year, at, at the very least, or last summer. And now you're talking about a player that got brought in for £54 million, has had major injury problems, but also consistency issues. 
and is going to leave on a free. Um, I think just looking at the midfield again, Fabinho, 18 months ago, I was immovable in my opinion that he was the best defensive midfielder on the planet. And now he's just a shadow of his former self. So, and we talk about maybe throwing kids into situations. I'd love to see maybe Stefan Bassetic get a role in, in, in a go in the Fabinho role because I just feel he's got more legs at the moment. Do I feel he could be doing a worse job than Fabinho at the moment? Again, that's getting a bit too critical, but I, I just it's it's hard to watch Fabinho at the moment because he has been so good and he's just fallen so fast so in, in recent months. Does it take a bit of just throwing a few youngsters in there, like Ben Doak? I, I do expect to see a decent amount of him in the replay against Wolves. Um, we talk about a, a shift I've already mentioned is now the time to put Alexander-Arnold into midfield, quite possibly. In terms of other failings from Klopp, I think you saw after the match as well, He, you know, he's openly admitted he's concerned. He's not hiding behind anything. He's not saying that he'll get fixed. He's not saying things like that that he had been saying. He's now actively admitting concern, which is a step in itself, I feel. Because in the past, there was very much a kind of, we will fix it kind of attitude as opposed to now it's almost a right we're, we're acknowledging the problems that are taking place here because you look at say Chelsea for example and I know Cody Gakpo's come in for Liverpool but Chelsea spend 11 million pounds on a loan signing for Joe Felix gets sent off his first game let's just go and sign another 85 million pound winger on a seven and a half eight and a half year deal um, but Liverpool aren't in a position right now to be able to do that. I think another reinforcement or two could come in, or should come in now, because it's worth looking at now. The gap to the top four, if we're still talking about the top four, is eight points. Sorry, is ten points, rather. And that is a mammoth gap. Even at the time Liverpool closed the gap during the COVID season, this is a big gap considering the form as well. Because... I'm looking at Arsenal finishing the top four. Manchester City, Newcastle and Manchester United. Do I see any of them dropping out the top four? Hand on heart right now, I don't. And that's regardless of what Jurgen Klopp does, to be honest. So is this is the rest of the season about kind of figuring out what to do next season? Is it about finding out stuff about himself to improve on? I'm not sure because now it could be all about focusing on Real Madrid. One the way, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on a sec about sort of how, how bad it might get and how it might pan out. In terms of the whole Klopp angle, I think, you know, there have been problems on his end this season. I think he he takes an approach, and I, th- I think I talked about this last week, so I won't dwell on it too much, but he takes the approach of, you know, I, I refuse to believe that he doesn't recognise the issues that are there within this team. Oh, yeah, of course. But of course. he's clearly saying he's happy with his squad because... He doesn't see the benefits of creating tension with the ownership, unlike other managers, and he doesn't want to implicitly suggest that he's unhappy with certain players in particular. And, and that is a, a valid approach. It's an approach that has maybe served him well in the past, but this season it's sort of become more problematic. Um, and he has 
change systems earlier in the season. You know, we've seen four two three one, we've seen four four two, but what we've not necessarily seen is a change in terms of footballing principles. And I understand that managers can be wedded to those, but does he need sort of one of his staff? That, does his, do his staff need to pressurize him almost into sort of saying, look, the way you know we're trying to play as if we're still a vintage club side. You know, yeah. we are going to need to kind of, um, I think that the thing would be to, you know, we've seen in certain games this season, um, that second half against Tottenham, um, against Man City at home, against Napoli at home, Liverpool were more conservative, they were more withdrawn in their shape. Um, and it wasn't sort of vintage Liverpool by any means, but it was more effective. Um, is, is that what you do? You know, I don't have necessarily the exact answer, but it just feels like, you know, elite managers, one of the defining features of them is can they be flexible? Can they solve tactical problems? And as much as the biggest reason for Liverpool's failures this season is underinvestment, Klopp has not been able to make a tactical change so far that has had a significant breakthrough in terms of improving the performance of the team. Um, and that's and that's on him, um, you'd have to say. But in terms of what the next few months look like, the message, and we've not really seen anything serious to suggest otherwise, even after this defeat, is that there isn't going to be another midfield sign. And so, as I mentioned there, Liverpool are down to ninth in the Premier League now. Um, if they don't sign another midfielder between now and the end of the January window, how how bad can it get in terms of their finishing position? Is it going to be sort of, is there a risk? And we don't want to sensationalise, but it seems like there's a genuine chance that it could be a Europa League battle more than more than a Champions League battle at this moment in time. You know, you mentioned the strength of, of those sides in there uh, previously. Yeah. Um, right now, being brutally honest, I am struggling to envisage Liverpool finishing in the top four because of the strength of the teams that currently occupy those positions. Um, even City in the Manchester derby, I don't think they looked themselves. Um I, but they, they they still will accumulate enough points you would imagine to finish in the top four. Um, Newcastle. What what I think is remarkable about them is that yes they have money to spend, but they haven't really spent it overly so far. You know they've still got Dan Burn at left back, they've got Sean Longstaff to do a great job in midfield. Joel Linton's transformed into a fantastic midfield player. Um, Fabian Share very, very cheap in comparison. So, Eddie Howe's doing an incredible job there. And Eric Ten Hag is just doing a great job for United, of course. We could probably do an entire podcast on their first goal in the Manchester Derby, but let's not touch on that. Um, yeah, we've just got the ethos of Manchester United. I think he, you know, the way he approached the whole Ronaldo situation as well. You talk about adaptability. That was massive from Eric Ten Hag to deal with Ronaldo the way that he did. Um, in terms of how bad it can get for Liverpool, there's a, there's a danger. I do think there's a danger of missing out on Europe. I do, just because right now, Liverpool played Chelsea on Saturday, which is, you know, a big TV game at the 12.30 slot, and it's 9th versus 10th, which I don't think the uh, TV selectors uh, expected at, uh, at that point uh, of, of the proceedings. But um, that's what it is. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, and... You know, we, we we talk about Brighton, we talk about you know, Brentford as well. They are two teams at the moment that are riding the crest of a wave. 
and really, really enjoying their football. And I just look at Liverpool at the moment and I was looking at Arsenal again today, you talk about the passion and movement, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, where's that when it comes to Liverpool? And I do think for I do think for the Brighton game and for all the Nunez criticizers, that was a massive loss. Because if you talk about lack of creativity, he was the one to get in behind, to run in behind, to to allow a midfield player or Trent Alexander-Arnold or Andy Robertson to look for with, with a pass. And for him not to be there, that's a big, big loss. And finally, people might realise it's the whole Gene Van Alden situation where you don't realise where you've got until something's gone. Um, so, doesn't come in. That's Champions League football. And I expect a real battle in terms of any European place. That's... No, no deserve to mention the Champions League last 16 because I just think, yeah. I don't think Real Madrid you know, Anfield does, does weird things on European nights, of course yeah. it does. I mean, you can never rule Liverpool out on European nights. But Real Madrid hearing a team that are currently ninth in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, it's one of them. I, I, I'm just waiting for something. You know, there is going to be there's going to be something for us this season. There's going to be a. Um, we've got like a couple of really big, satisfying wins left in us. Um, if we can get one of those against Real Madrid, then it will go a long way, yeah. I think, towards um, improving the season. But I, I do believe that those those victories will come. Um, just a, a question of question of when on that. And um, on the top four points, you know, year on year, we hear people say, "Why does nobody want to finish in the top four? They're all um, tripping over each other almost." That's because those teams have been inconsistent for so long but what you'd have to say is now all four of those teams who were in there and Manchester United and Newcastle would be the ones especially Newcastle probably given this winning streak United are on even if they are below them albeit with the game in hand they still look consistent as a team and they're not showing the, the kind of fallibility that Liverpool would necessarily need to, to close the gap but I, it's not out of the question just yet you know a, a win and run um, can still change the picture but the thing is, is it's there's two there's two sides to the coin. There's those teams dropping points and then Liverpool gaining them, and yeah, um, Liverpool gaining them looks even, looks even more um, unlikely at, at the present moment. So um, not the greatest outlook on that. Um, we're coming towards the end now. Uh, I want to ask for a little bit of positivity just before we finish, but I I want to kind of quickly touch on injuries first. Liverpool have got the worst injury record in the league when you look at games missed. They had four attackers out yesterday. I mean, has that been kind of an an overlooked feature this season in terms of mitigation? Because it has kind of felt at times like it's um, developing into another sort of 2021 season um, style situation with those injuries because it just it has kind of been constant and we've not really seen not even the full strength team. It's like we've not been able to see sort of close to it for a sustained period. I think it's potentially overlooked in terms of the wider media. But I think I think with the Liverpool fan base, I think it's very well acknowledged. I think in terms of the wider um, view of Liverpool, I do think it's potentially a bit overlooked, that. Um, because it's like, I saw criticism of Cody Gakpo yesterday. And I don't really know what the expectation was in terms of him yesterday because I felt immensely sorry for him. He's come into a team that has got a lot of injuries at the moment. Again, got the Darwin Nunez, which really will have impacted Gakpo's role yesterday. 
because all of a sudden he's got to shift more centrally. Oxlade Chamberlain goes on the left, and we scored against uh, Brentford, but he's not a natural left winger. And again, he's someone that's coming to the end of his contract in the summer. Um, any team would miss Luis Diaz. I'm a massive fan of Diogo Jota. I'm just a bit concerned about the reoccurrence of the injuries. And again, Firmino, I think you talk about loyalty. I think us as well, I think we hold quite a bit of loyalty to someone like Roberto Firmino because we don't want to see someone of his um, serving of the club leave. And to be honest with you, I do think he still has a role. He's someone that I, he's someone that I could see drop into midfield into kind of you know creative pivot number ten kind of figure. He's someone I could see easily doing that because he's that he's got that much quality. Um, but it, it it is undoubtedly a factor because literally as you were talking about the twenty twenty one season, I thought what's what's worse not having enough centre backs and not having enough forwards. And it's actually quite I've never thought about that before. But Paul did really really well and managed to put Nat Phillips and Reese Williams there towards the end of the season and they were incredible in that final running. The replacements Liverpool have in the forward line, they just don't cut it in terms of the same intensity, in terms of the same pressing, because that's what Diaz brings, that's what Jota brings, that's what Firmino brings. And that is, yeah, it, it is a massive factor, especially when um, you are having to, to chop and change all the time. And again, trying to integrate two new forwards in Gakpo and Nunez, which hasn't been overly easy so far this season either. Yeah, I think I forgot to mention earlier, but I 100% agree with your point about Nunez and probably the only player who came out of, uh, of yesterday um, looking better was the one who wasn't playing, which kind of says it yeah. all. But yeah, it shows his importance to the team. But, but like I say, I do want to try and get a nice positive thought from you before uh, we finish because it is extremely uh, doom and gloom at the moment uh, for Liverpool and throughout the fan base. Understandably so, but what is it you're looking to that that gives you reason to kind of be hopeful and um, looking towards kind of not just the second half of the season, but the re- the rest of 2023? I think in terms of you just so Wolves in the replay and then Chelsea, I want to see, I do genuinely want to see more of the like of, of, of Ben Doak because I want to see that raw excitement. I want to see someone get on the ball and, and run at players. Like that's what, Liverpool missing at the moment with Luis Diaz. I, I want to see excitement, exciting talent, get on the ball. No fear. That's what I love about Ben Dolak. He's got no fear whatsoever. Get him on the ball and get running. And I want to see creativity, movement, because let's not kid ourselves. There's a lot of quality still in this Liverpool team. Yes, it's not great at the moment, but you don't play for Liverpool Football Club unless you have an element of quality. Absolutely. And I think the game against Chelsea, you mentioned the satisfying wins there. That that kind of, it almost kind of feels like that could be one, doesn't it? Because they didn't have it their own way against Crystal Palace today. I, I think Chelsea are far from um, flowing under Graham Potter. It was a big win for them today, it has to be said. But I, I think they are extremely vulnerable. And it's a game at Anfield where everyone knows what's at stake. You get the feeling that for both teams, it's a similar kind of situation that in terms of their, their hunt of the European places, it, it's a kind of a kickstart game. It's a game that they, that they both know has to result in three points. Um, it's also funny <laughs> being the first game against Chelsea this season. 
as yeah. well. Um, obviously, with, with the rearranged one there to, to come at Stamford Bridge as well. Um, but it's a game, look, you can't not look forward to it. A game against Chelsea, given the history between the two clubs as well. And ultimately, every time you go into a game, I, I do think if you can't look forward to a game, just don't watch it, at least. And there's certainly no Liverpool games that I don't plan on watching anytime soon. So, yeah. you know, it is on it is on Jurgen Klopp. It is on the players because I think fan of Instagram pictures after games in terms of like you know the, the messages and stuff that go with, with go with those kind of quotes. But it, I thought it was noticeable about how to the point the likes of Robertson, Alexander Arnold, Henderson were on Instagram because they all they all knew they all knew that was far from the standard set by this Liverpool team and just you know. You can imagine behind the scenes the work they'll be going into getting it right, and hopefully a big second half to the season. And uh, in particular, I know I mentioned Real Madrid, but I'm very much looking forward to that tie as well because it'd be the first time. Well, first time, uh, obviously, I wasn't able to get to Paris, but seeing Liverpool against Real Madrid, it's it's one of those things you grow up wanting to see, isn't it? So yes, plenty. There is there is a lot to look forward to. It might not seem right now, but to look forward to. For Liverpool in 2023 and beyond, and that Chelsea game is is the halfway point of the season. So there's still half of it to go, like you say, to try and salvage it. And I've got a feeling said earlier about Liverpool. Only you're only confident when you're up against a, a dysfunctional team, and and that, and that and those two teams are you know pitted against each other. So I I've got a, a good feeling about that one at least. So so that'll be my most optimism. But yeah, uh, thanks thanks for jumping on. Um, again, Chris, we will be back after the uh, FA Cup replay against Wolves in midweek. But yeah, in the meantime, if you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, subscribe. Uh, please um, press the notification button um, so you get notified every time a new episode drops. And also you can give it a uh, five-star rating on Spotify or a positive review on any other podcast platform. That would be much appreciated. And yeah, we're uploading the podcast to YouTube now so you can... Um, you can see us discussing it. You can see the miserable looks on our faces as we um, <laughs> as we delve into it. So, um, yeah, if you're watching on there, um, remember to like and subscribe as well. But, yeah, until next time, take care.